0: CHAPTER Nine OF THE MYSTERY OF MARY by Grace Livingston Hill This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leanne Howlett It was about this time that the firm of Blackwell, Hanover, and Dunham had a difficult case to work out, which involved the gathering of evidence from Chicago and thereabouts, and it was with pleasure... That Judge Blackwell accepted the eager proposal from the junior member of the firm that he should go out and attend to it. As Tryon Dunham entered the sleeper and placed his suitcase beside him on the seat, he was reminded of the night when he had taken this train with the girl who had come to occupy a great part of his thoughts in these days. He had begun to feel that if he could ever hope to shake off his anxiety and get back to his normal state of mind, HE MUST FIND HER AND UNRAVEL THE MYSTERY ABOUT HER. IF SHE WERE SAFE AND HAD FRIENDS, SO THAT HE WAS NOT NEEDED, PERHAPS HE WOULD BE ABLE TO PUT HER OUT OF HIS THOUGHTS, BUT IF SHE WERE NOT SAFE, HE DID NOT QUITE FINISH THE SENTENCE EVEN IN HIS THOUGHTS, BUT HIS HEART BEAT QUICKER ALWAYS, AND HE KNEW THAT IF SHE NEEDED HIM HE WAS READY TO HELP HER, EVEN AT THE SACRIFICE OF HIS LIFE. All during the journey he planned a campaign for finding her, until he came to know in his heart that this was the real mission for which he had come to Chicago, although he intended to perform the other business thoroughly and conscientiously. Upon his arrival in Chicago, he inserted a number of advertisements in the daily papers, having laid various plans by which she might safely communicate with him, without running the risk of detection by her enemy. IF MR IS IN CHICAGO, WILL SHE KINDLY COMMUNICATE WITH T. DUNHAM, GENERAL DELIVERY, IMPORTANT. MRS. BOWMAN'S FRIEND HAS SOMETHING OF IMPORTANCE TO SAY TO THE LADY WHO DINED WITH HER OCTOBER 8TH. KINDLY SEND ADDRESS TO T. D. BOX 7, interocean OCEAN, OFFICE. MARY, LET ME KNOW WHERE AND WHEN I CAN SPEAK WITH YOU ABOUT A MATTER OF IMPORTANCE. Try and D. RECORD HERALD L. These and others appeared in the different papers, but when he began to get communications from all sorts of poor creatures, every one demanding money, and when he found himself running wild goose chases after different Marys and M.R.s, he abandoned all hope of personal columns in the newspapers. Then he began a systematic search for music teachers and musicians, for it seemed to him that this would be her natural way of earning her living, if she were so hard-pressed that this was necessary. In the course of his experiments he came upon many objects of pity, and his heart was stirred with the sorrow and the misery of the human race, as it had never been stirred in all his happy well-groomed life. Many a poor soul was helped and strengthened, and put into the way of doing better because of this brief contact with him, But always as he saw new miseries he was troubled over what might have become of her, Mary. It came to pass that whenever he looked upon the face of a young woman, no matter how pinched and worn with poverty, he dreaded lest she might have come to this pass and be in actual need. As these thoughts went on day by day, he came to feel that she was his by a God-given right, his to find, his to care for, if she was in peril, he must save her, if she had done wrong. But this he could never believe. Her face was too pure and lovely for that. So the burden of her weighed upon his heart all the days while he went about the difficult business of gathering evidence, link by link in the important law case that had brought him to Chicago. Dunham had set apart working hours and he seemed to labor with double vigor then because of the other task he had set himself. When at last he finished the legal business he had come for and might go home, he lingered yet a day and then another, devoting himself with almost feverish activity to the search for his unknown friend. It was the evening of the third day after his law work was finished that with a sad heart he went toward the hotel where he had been stopping. "'he was obliged at last to face the fact that his search had been in vain. "'He had almost reached the hotel when he met a business acquaintance, "'who welcomed him warmly, for far and wide among legal men, "'the firm of which Judge Blackwell was the senior member commanded respect. "'Well, well,' said the older man. "'Is this you, Dunham? "'I thought you were booked for home two days ago.' "'Suppose you come home to dinner with me? "'I have a matter I'd like to talk over with you before you leave. "'I shall count this a most fortunate meeting, if you will.' "'Just because he caught at any straw to keep him longer in Chicago, "'Dunham accepted the invitation. "'Just as the cab door was flung open in front of the handsome house "'where he was to be a guest, two men passed slowly by, like shadows out of place.' and there floated to his ears one sentence, voiced in broadest Irish. "'She goes by the name of Mary, ye says. All right, sir. I'll keep a sharp look-out.' Tryon Dunham turned and caught a glimpse of silver-changing hands. One man was slight and fashionably dressed, and the light that was cast from the neighbouring window showed his face to be dark and handsome. The other was short and stout, and clad in a faded prince albert coat that bagged its shoulders and elbows he wore rubbers over his shoes and his footsteps sounded like those of a heavy dog the two passed around the corner and dunham and his host entered the house they were presently seated at a well-appointed table where an elaborate dinner was served the talk was of pleasant things that go to make up the world of refinement but the mind of the guest was troubled and constantly kept hearing that sentence. She goes by the name of Mary. Then suddenly he looked up and met her eyes. She was standing just back of her mistress's chair, with quiet, watchful attitude, but her eyes had been unconsciously upon the guest until he looked up and caught her glance. She turned away, but the color rose in her cheeks, and she knew that he was watching her. Her look had startled him. He had never thought of looking for her in a menial position, and at first he had noticed only the likeness to her for whom he was searching. But he watched her furtively, until he became more and more startled with the resemblance. She did not look at him again, but he noticed that her cheeks were scarlet, and that the long lashes drooped as if she were trying to hide her eyes. She went now and again from the room on her silent deft errands, bringing and taking dishes, filling the glasses with ice water, seeming to know at a glance just what was needed. Whenever she went from the room he tried to persuade himself that it was not she, and then became feverishly impatient for her return that he might anew convince himself that it was. He felt a helpless rage at the son of the house for the familiar way in which he said, Mary, fill my glass, and could not keep from frowning. Then he was startled at the similarity of names. Mary. The men on the street had used the name, too. Could it be that her enemy had tracked her? Perhaps he, Dunham, had appeared just in time to help her. His busy brain scarcely heard the questions with which his host was plying him, and his replies were distraught and monosyllabic. At last he broke in upon the conversation. "'Excuse me.' "'But I wonder if I may interrupt you for a moment. "'I have thought of something that I ought to attend to at once. "'I wonder if the waitress would be kind enough to send a phone message for me. "'I am afraid it will be too late if I wait.' "'Why, certainly,' said the host, all anxiety. "'Would you like to go to the phone yourself, or can I attend to it for you? "'Just feel perfectly at home.' Already the young man was hastily writing a line or two on a card he had taken from his pocket, and he handed it to the waitress, who, at his question, had moved silently behind his chair to do his bidding. Just call up that number, please, and give the message below. They will understand, and then you will write down their answer. He handed her the pencil and turned again to his dessert, saying with a relieved air, Thank you. "'I am sorry for the interruption. "'Now, will you finish that story?' "'Apparently his entire attention was devoted to his host and his ice, "'but in reality he was listening to the click of the telephone "'and the low, gentle voice in an adjoining room. "'It came after only a moment's pause, "'and he wondered at the calmness "'with which the usual formula of the telephone was carried on. "'He could not hear what she said,' but his ears were alert to the pause, just long enough for a few words to be written, and then to her footsteps coming quietly back. His heart was beating wildly. It seemed to him that his host must see the strained look in his face, but he tried to fasten his interest upon the conversation and keep calm. He had applied the test. There was no number upon the card, and he knew that if the girl were not the one of whom he was in search, "'she would return for an explanation. "'If you are Mary Remington, "'tell me where and when I can talk with you. "'Immediately important to us both.' "'This was what he had written on the card. "'His fingers trembled as he took it from the silver tray "'which she presented to him demurely. "'He picked it up and eagerly read the delicate writing, hers, "'the same that had expressed her thanks "'and told of her safe arrival in Chicago.' he could scarcely refrain from leaping from his chair and shouting aloud in his gladness. The message she had written was simple. No stranger reading it would have thought twice about it. If the guest had read it aloud, it would have aroused no suspicion. Y.W.C.A. Building Small Parlor Three Tomorrow He knew the massive building, for he had passed it many times, but never had he supposed it could have any interest for him now suddenly his heart warmed to the great organization of christian women who had established these havens for homeless ones in the heart of the great cities he looked up at the girl as she was passing the coffee on the other side of the table but not a flicker of an eyelash showed she recognized him she went through her duties and withdrew from the room but though they lingered long over the coffee she did not return When they went into the other room, his interest in the family grew less and less. The daughter of the house sat down at the piano, after leading him up to ask her to sing, and chirped through several sentimental songs, tinkling out a shallow accompaniment with her plump manicured fingers. His soul revolted at the thought that she should be here entertaining the company, while that other one whose music would have thrilled them all stayed humbly in the kitchen doing some menial task. He took his leave early in the evening and hurried back to his hotel. As he crossed the street to hail a cab, he thought he saw a short, baggy figure shambling along in the shadow on the other side, looking up at the house. He had professed to have business to attend to, but when he reached his room he could do nothing but sit down and think. THAT HE HAD FOUND HER FOR WHOM HE HAD SO LONG SOUGHT FILLED HIM WITH A DEEPER JOY THAN ANY HE HAD EVER KNOWN BEFORE. THAT HE HAD FOUND HER IN SUCH A POSITION DEEPENED THE MYSTERY AND FILLED HIM WITH A NAMELESS DREAD. THEN OUT OF THE SHADOW OF HIS THOUGHTS SHAMBLED THE BAGGY MAN AND THE RUBBERS, AND HE COULD NOT REST, BUT TOOK HIS HAT AND WALKED OUT AGAIN INTO THE GREAT RUMBLING WHIRL OF THE CITY NIGHT, WALKING ON AND ON, UNTIL HE AGAIN REACHED THE HOUSE WHERE HE HAD DINED. He passed in front of the building and found lights still burning everywhere. Down the side street he saw the windows were brightly lighted in the servants' quarters, and loud laughter was sounding. Was she in there enduring such company? No, for there high in the fourth story gleamed a little light, and a shadow moved about across the curtain. Something told him that it was her room. He paced back and forth until the light went out, and then reverently, with lifted hat, turned and found his way back to the main avenue and a car-line. As he passed the area gate, a bright light shot out from the back door. There was a peal of laughter, an Irish good-night, and a short man in baggy coat and rubbers shambled out and scuttled noiselessly down to the back street. End of Chapter 9